This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. Here we are. It's the final weekend of the Premier League season as well as the Bundesliga. In addition to that, we've got all of the uh, playoffs this weekend. So we've got the Championship playoff, uh, League One, League Two playoffs, some big games around Europe, relegation battles, you name it, uh, uh, cup competitions, etc. And uh, this week, we're joined by Kyle Fansler. Hey, Kyle. Welcome back. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Good, good. It's good to have you back on the podcast because it's, uh, it's been a while. Uh, I, know, I know you've been super busy writing stories and uh, copy editing and uh, keeping the website uh, running with great content. So it's good to have you back. And it is it is good to be back. Lots of work with the podcast, not necessarily on this podcast, but interviewing a lot of people from around the soccer world, which has been a lot of fun and just getting to know a lot of different broadcasters, a lot of different leagues. It's been it's been fun to take a, a deeper dive into that that media world. For sure. Yeah. And that's a great segue, too, because uh, thanks to Sling TV, we've been able to do now three podcasts a week. Uh, previously, we were doing one a week, um, and sometimes it was once every two weeks. So because of Sling and uh, their involvement, we've been able to, to produce more great content. And uh, I mean, this is a perfect weekend for whether you're going to subscribe to Sling or, or another streaming service to watch uh, the games from, uh, of course, the Premier League, but also uh, La Liga, Ligue 1, etc. Before we jump into kind of talking about these weekend games and and giving a preview um, of some of these matches, Kyle, for you, what has been your favorite interview you've done thus far? Uh, And also, what can we expect perhaps maybe next week with our, our next guest? Ooh, favorite interview I've done so far. I've done some fun ones. And I got to say, I think the, ah, I don't know, each one's special in their kind of their own right. I'd say my favorite was probably Archie Rintut, who a lot of people know covers uh, the Bundesliga with ESPN as a, as a freelance reporter. He's on the, he's pitch side for a lot of games. He has a, a great relationship with a lot of managers, which kind of makes him stand out as well as his gaudy apparel which is uh, one way to to put it um we we had a great conversation talking about um you know his background what makes the bundesliga special because it has been one of those years where i think i've followed the bundesliga a little bit more um i can't really explain it maybe it's because there's a, a title race there i i don't know but having watched archie on my tv and then being able to, to talk to him I, I really enjoyed that and then we we're talking about things in the near future um we have some some pretty special guests lined up. Guests that I'm really excited to talk to. Um, people that are recording documentaries. People that are, uh, you know, like their pitch side. It's 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 going to be fun. I, there's one guest. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name, sure. yeah, just because ahead. yeah. It's a uh, we're talking to uh, Guillaume Balaguer, for example, in the in the next couple of weeks, and he's going to be uh, just a joy to talk to, especially from someone that has a background in journalism, seeing him talk to players. And that just, that really fascinates me because he seems like he has a great relationship, much like Archie with managers. Guillaume seems like he has a great relationship with, uh, with players. I remember him talking to uh, uh, Kareem Benzema, for example, just having a casual conversation with him. We'd we'll love to talk to him more about that kind of thing. 
Yeah, no, those are all great points because to me, one of the reasons that I'm watching more of the Bundesliga this season is not because of the title race, but it's more so because of the people behind it. So, you mean watching watching it, watching these games, we get a chance to interview people like Derek Ray, Archie Rintut, etc., uh, Kay Murray, and to me, it makes it feel more personal. And and those are really really great uh, professionals anyway, where. It just feels that they really are passionate about uh, the league and the game and the country, and it pulls you into the broadcast. Uh, Guillaume Balague, to me, is another example of that. Seems to be very humble, uh, an incredible person in terms of just, uh, I mean, he must have probably one of the best jobs in football. Right. Uh, traveling around Europe, going to all these games, interviewing fans sometimes. And I remember... I went to Goodison Park for a game. Uh, it was Everton against uh, Bolton. And uh, this is 2006. And Guillaume Balaguer and, uh, and myself were there in the press room, went down to interview some of the players. Uh, so I've kind of been following his career path since then. Like a really, 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 uh, you mean kind of a scholar of the game, but a really nice guy. And actually, somebody interesting, interestingly enough, who is a chairman of a non-league club, uh, Biggleswade United in England. So he's busy working for you mean CBS Sports, covering the Champions League, doing documentaries. He's done a lot of work with uh, the BBC, both writing and uh, on radio, and then still has time to be a chairman of a non-league football club. Yeah, you talk about uh, having the best job in the world. I mean, CBS is going to send him to to Milan, to Paris, to Munich, to Manchester. I mean, if you're going to get paid to go watch those games, and I'm sure he's an incredibly busy man with how much work that he does, not only with CBS, but with other publications as well. I mean, what what a gig to have if you're Guillaume Balaguer. Yeah, definitely. My favorite interview, uh, Kyle, was uh, Rob Phillips from BBC Radio Wales uh, talking about the Wrexham story when he went to Wrexham to the the victory parade. And uh, coincidentally, uh, when he did that interview that week, um, and it was on YouTube and, you know, of course, his podcast stream, uh, my cousin from Wales was in town. So he and I sat down and him coming from from Europe, coming to the United, United States, he didn't realize how big Wrexham is in the U.S. So I said, okay, okay well, sit down with me. Let's listen to this. Uh, let's watch this interview with Rob Phillips from BBC uh, and, and with Kyle. And he was blown away. And, and actually, during the interview, he was like, wow, that's a really good question. Yeah. So he was really impressed as somebody coming from Wales that opened his eyes to how big the Wrexham story is here. And then we started watching watching uh, Welcome to Wrexham, um, and I think w- watched most of the uh, the first season, uh, probably because of that interview in many ways. So that that that's my favorite thus far. Yeah, I got to say real quickly, Chris, you talk about how uh, Rob Phillips, for example, kind of personified that that cultural nature of, of Wrexham and the whole the whole personality of the club. I mean, that's what makes these interviews so great for me, just because you know talking to people like Rob or or Archie. Or, or hopefully Guillaume, and also uh, Semmer Hunter and Poppy Miller, who we've also talked to recently, they really have the ability to transfer some of that cultural, you know, just 
personnel. I don't want to re- reuse the word, but really that culture and bring it over to uh, us here in the United States because I've never watched a, a live game in Europe. But being able to talk to these people that are so in touch with that, that those those people, those towns, it, it's a it's a real pleasure to talk to all of them. Yeah, and I think one more thing to that too is that sometimes uh, it's great that you get a chance to find out about the the people themselves, uh, their story, that how they got into the business, how they got to where they are now, and their personal story. Because you I mean, just as we're watching the Bundesliga and the Premier League and you know other leagues from around the world and, and enjoying the games, uh, I think we feel kind of a connection with the broadcasters too, and and then you giving them the opportunity to tell their story. Is something quite unique. Mm-hmm. So let's look ahead to this weekend. I mean, this is so. I mean, the stars have aligned in terms of the way that this weekend is scheduled out, uh, and of course, we've got the Bundesliga kicking things off on the, the Saturday nine thirty a.m. Uh, kickoff times. Uh, just like the Germans, right? They're, they're always kind of uh, sticking to those uh, kickoff times, and and actually it helps us too because. Um, the Bundesliga title race comes down to Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, two games of many, actually, in the Bundesliga of uh, massive importance. Uh, the first one being Borussia Dortmund against Mainz. Uh, if Dortmund wins that game, they win the title, uh, which is incredible to think of, it, just in terms of where Bayern Munich was just a few months ago, where it looked, again, very likely that they would win it. Uh, the last time that Bayern didn't win the title was 11 years ago when Dortmund won the title in 2012, uh, managed by Jurgen Klopp. And then we've got uh, FC Korn, uh, Cologne against uh, Bayern Munich uh, in the other game at the same time. So depending what happens in the Dortmund game, if Mainz goes up 1-0, Bayern goes ahead 1-0 in the game against Cologne, then it, you know, obviously it, it might look like Bayern will win it. Um, the, the, the benefit of this one, I think, Kyle, is that... Uh, Dortmund's playing at home, so they got, we'll see that yellow wall, we'll see the massive fandom, we'll see the passion. Uh, you mean, this has to be Dortmund winning this title, right? You would think it has to be, especially because, and my math could be wrong here, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at the Bundesliga table in a couple hours, all the point system kind of escapes my mind, but I think Dortmund can actually win the title with a draw, assuming that Bayern Munich does not win by, you know, a thousand goals, fifteen goals, whatever it was, but I think you're right. Playing at home is a massive, massive benefit to Dortmund in particular. We see that that fandom, that 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 supporter base, it makes such a big impact on those games, and it's always one of the best environments to watch on TV, which is something that's hard to kind of capture. But they, the broadcasters do so well to capture the the passion of you know the yellow wall, and you know. I think it's crazy. You mentioned that Bayern, the last time they did not win the title was 11 years ago. You think about the amount of change that these two clubs have been through since then. The managers that, that Dortmund has had, you know, the likes of uh, Thomas Tuchel, you already mentioned Jurgen Klopp, and the success that Bayern Munich has had since then. It's been so long since Dortmund's won the title, relatively speaking, because it has been a period of dominance for Bayern Munich. And as a, a neutral, I got, I got no dog in the fight in the Bundesliga, 
I got to say, I'm rooting for Borussia Dortmund just so I can see a little bit more parity in the Bundesliga because I always think that's been the biggest drawback of the league is that you look at it and say, okay, Bayern Munich is going to win. No surprise there. But to have, and I know Borussia Dortmund's no no small club by any means, but to have just another team win the title, I think goes a long way for the league and obviously for all those those fans in the yellow wall. Yeah, so if Dortmund does tie and Bayern wins, Actually, Bayern has the better goal difference. Oh, okay. I got there. You go. I got my goal differentials mixed up. <laughs> yeah. So, but Bayern right now has as a plus nine goal difference over Dortmund. So, so that's the thing. I mean, Dortmund goes into this game. I mean, which in some ways actually is probably better, right? That we know that they have. Well, I mean, if if Bayern loses, okay, then that changes things. But Dortmund has to go into this game with the mindset of, all right, we have to win this game. If we win this game, it's just one game. We get three points, but we win the title. And I think for the Bundesliga, more so than any other league really in Europe, um, there's going to be more, <laughs> there's going to be a ton of fans or even neutrals uh, cheering on Dortmund, hoping to break up this uh, monopoly by Bayern. I mean, it's been over over a decade. Um, Mainz, for the most part, doesn't really have much to play for, so they're they're mid table. Um, so on paper, right, uh, Dortmund should win this game, and then. Uh, and then Bayern hopefully will will win. They might win their game too. I mean, they're playing Cologne again, mid table with really nothing much to play for. Uh, Mainz has lost the last four games, so again, on paper, this this should be a Dortmund uh, win and uh, a title for uh, for Dortmund. It, it feels a little bit weird though too because I think it's. I mean, it's to me Bayern slipping up more than it is Dortmund um, on 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 a on a tear. And I realize that Dortmund has improved a lot, but uh, it feels like more Bayern slipping up, handing the title to Dortmund, Dortmund than it is neck and neck, both teams winning all their games. But still, I, I'm not complaining by any means. No, I think you're right when you look at looking at it as Bayern Munich slipping up because I think every year Bayern Munich goes into the season thinking, okay, we can realistically win the treble this year. And they did that in 2020. And this year you look at, it's been a kind of a season of turmoil in some regards at Bayern Munich. I mean, you had the, the Sadio Mane punching Leroy Sané fiasco. You had uh, Julian Nagelsmann out despite Bayern Munich leading the table. I think they were leading the table at the time. And then Thomas Tuchel came in. They crashed out of the Champions League to Manchester City. And now they're falling apart in the league. It's just, it's weird to see Bayern Munich, which is usually, you know, we all know them as just a, a machine steamrolling through the Bundesliga. They'll, They'll beat any team in their five nothing with relative ease, and this season, like you said, it's just kind of all come apart, kind of unexpectedly. Yeah, and in addition to those two games too, there's the relegation battle. So you've got uh, down near the bottom, you got uh, Bochum and Schalke uh, going into that final day, trying to figure out a way to get out of that relegation zone uh, into safety. Uh, Bochum are playing Leverkusen uh, at home, 9.30. All, all, the, all the kickoff times at 9.30 tomorrow uh, on Saturday. And then uh, Schalke going away to RB Leipzig. So two difficult games for those um, bottom, bottom dwellers. But there's also, of course, the chance that uh, maybe they, they can escape that uh, the bottom two. And then also there's the... Um, the, the third from bottom team will go into a playoff match against uh, a team from the, the second uh, Bundesliga. So so action both at the top and the bottom of the table. Um, 
I think to me, the, t- the timing of this is perfect, right? Because the Premier League uh, finishes their season up on Sunday. You've got the, the relegation battle and the title race battle in the Bundesliga at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, followed by, also on ESPN+, Plus, the EFL Championship Final on Saturday. That's, uh, that kickoff time is 11.45 a.m. Eastern time. Commentary City against Luton Town. And this one, to me, is a really interesting one, too, because if you were hanging around a whole bunch of expats uh, in a British pub, uh, talking about uh, English football from the 1970s and 1980s. If, if, if you could go back in time to the 1970s and 1980s, uh, Coventry City and Luton Town would be in, would be in the uh, discussion, uh, would be teams that in the top flights. And yeah, look at Coventry, look how well they're doing, or look at Luton, what they're doing. However, uh, the recent history has not been kind to either of these teams, but either uh, Coventry or Luton, but they're back in it again. So Coventry City almost got went out of business. Um, you mean almost went bankrupt. I think they got liquidated. Luton Town um, had their own problems. They were docked points. They got uh, pushed down to the football league, uh, to the actual national league, to the non-league. Uh, but both of these t- these teams have risen up against adversity. And Kyle, I, I think I mean I mean I think most Americans really don't know the story of Coventry City and Luton Town. So I think a lot of Americans will be going into this game, uh, unless they've done the research or have been following the clubs lower down the table, uh, without without any of the history in mind. But in terms of just watching this game for the sheer pleasure of it, which is usually a tense, crazy game with so much on the line. Do you have any? Uh, you mean a dog in the race in this one, Coventry or Luton, and any interest in any other team to go up? Well, you're spot on. I mean, I really got into the Premier League in the mid-2000s when it was that Arsenal-Chelsea-United kind of battle. And for that, and for me, I never really knew about Coventry City and their their elongated status in the top flight. And, you know, you mentioned it. They spent 35 years in the top flight and in the Premier League. I never, I mean, before a couple of years ago, when I really started diving deeper into the entire English pyramid, I, I never really knew that. So I didn't think that Coventry City was a quote unquote big team. But then you talk about how they are this, this you know, perennial, not powerhouse, but a, a stalwart of the top flight. So this game between Coventry and Luton, I got to say, I am really cheering for and I guess supporting Luton Town strictly because I want to see that stadium in the Premier League. And I would love to see Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool travel to that stadium, which needs $12 million worth of renovations just to be able to host Premier League games. And I would love to see the the fans for these major clubs that are used to playing in these billion-dollar stadiums walk through a neighborhood to watch their team play in an official match. I think that would be awesome. I think it would personify the Premier League and really give fans a you know a, a great look into the what English soccer is all about you might say yeah no that's a good point because uh, Kenilworth uh, Stadium in Luton is something from uh, the olden days it, it, it looks like it hasn't it hasn't changed since um, I mean since I remember it watching games in the late 1970s and 1980s the 1990s uh, seeing games on television from uh, Kenilworth uh, uh, a Road there. And it is an antiquated, primitive, 
small stadium. I mean, the capacity is um, just over eleven. I think eleven thousand. So they max out at I think ten and a half thousand fans there. But the way, I mean, the, the beauty of watching the one of the beauty of watching the FA Cup in England when it comes up, especially the third round uh, every year, is seeing those big clubs go to the small stadiums to play small clubs. And uh, here we have, I mean, Luton's uh, stadium reminds me of that. However, they're a big club. They're on the verge of getting promoted to to the Premier League. It would be incredible to see that. Uh, it would be the smallest stadium ever in the Premier League, which is incredible. It's not just that it's small, but it's it's old it's like the fans are, are like right on top of the uh the field we've seen in recent weeks in in some of the uh playoff games in the championship as uh Luton were trying to get into the final the fans are so close to the field that they, they, they can reach out and grab the players so it's it is uh yeah like you mentioned too i think the away section of uh the the, the stadium at Luton uh, the entrance is built into a row of Victorian terraced houses. So you have to go underneath a someone's home to get into the away section at Kenilworth Road. And it, yeah, it's going to take, like, like you mentioned, $12 million worth of uh, renovations this summer if they do win this uh, final, just to have it up to standards to be able to be able to actually have games played there. Um, they are looking to build a new stadium elsewhere in the city. It's going to take some time for that to happen, but yeah, it's. It, 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 I'm with you, Kyle. I, I think a lot of people are ch- hoping that Luton get up, just for the the sheer just uh, chaos of seeing teams play at such a small stadium. It, it's it, it it is incredible. Coventry, so Coventry, it's interesting too. So so you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. So just just for listeners too. So from 1966 to 2001, Coventry City spent 35 successive seasons in the English top flight. Just, just think of that. 35 years consecutively, they were in the English top flight. And then they were relegated um, after 2001. And only Arsenal, Everton, and Liverpool had a longer uh, consecutive top flight run. So Coventry, a big team in the 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, 80s, and um, a very progressive club in terms of the way they, they were run. And then Luton Town, uh, from the fifth tier of the uh, the National League, as recently as, as 2014, uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, uh, they were a yo-yo club going up and down from the second division to the first division, back down and back up again. Uh, at that time, manager uh, David Pleat, uh, they were a very attacking team, a very exciting team to watch. And they had more black players than any other English team uh, in the country at that time when almost all of the players were white. So again, a very progressive club and um, this should be a fascinating final. This, this this is the richest game in world soccer. I mean, if you win this game, what was it $250 million? It's just gigantic numbers of money that they'll get from TV rights alone. So um, yeah, and the timing's perfect right after the Bundesliga title race ends and the relegation battle ends right into um, the actual championship final. Then we look to Sunday uh, to preview Sunday's games. Uh, of course, the, the title is over. Manchester City, congratulations on winning the title. And we now know the top four. And then Newcastle, of course, uh, getting up into the Champions League alongside Arsenal and Manchester United. But the, the interest levels 
and and kind of where the attention is is mostly on the relegation battle, and it has been for quite some time. It's been a fascinating run. And here we have, you mean Leicester, Leeds, and Everton fighting for their lives. Uh, Everton, talking about history, talking about Coventry, Luton, their history, and Bayern Munich and their history winning titles. Everton uh, has the acclaim, and actually, actually, Carl, let me let me have you read it out because you were the one that wrote this story at uh, worldsoccertalk.com in terms of you mean how long Everton have been in the top flight. Yeah, I remember writing this originally because you know you always imagine Everton as big team, lots of fans, global following, even here in the United States, and that's largely because. You know, this is what the 124th top flight season. And out of those 124 seasons of English soccer, Everton has been in the top flight for 120 of them. Just four seasons, not in the top flight. And if you're curious which club is the next best, which is second most seasons in the top flight, that's Liverpool, which has 108. So a 12 season gap between Everton and Liverpool, fittingly, the two, uh, the two Merseyside clubs. And Everton, you know, they... Arsenal right now has the most consecutive seasons in the top flight. And you might think, well, if Everton only has four seasons outside the top flight, well, that's because Everton had a a short stint down in the second tier in the early 1950s. But Everton, even though they're not, you know, consistently in Europe, constantly fighting for titles, they may have been in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s. They are a team that is, is just huge. And we've talked to their fans before, Chris, uh, Matt Jones, for example, we talked to him uh-huh. and the passion that they have. And I know that a lot of them are just fed up with the ownership that the signings that they've made have been expensive, haven't panned out. It's been just dreadful for a lot of Everton supporters. What we saw last year when they beat Crystal Palace to stay up in the Premier League, how much it meant to them, because that's where they think they belong. And for, as you can see, with this amount of time that they've spent in the Premier League and in the top flight, that is, you know, realistically speaking, where they belong. And just to see that kind of emotion last season, well, it'll be interesting to see if that carries over into into this season. If they get a result against Bournemouth, it should be enough to keep them up. Um, and I know the NBC crew is going to be on the pitch there, and you never know, we might see another pitch invasion like we saw last year, and that could get that could get out of hand real fast. Yeah, it's a good point too, because like, uh, yeah, the NBC crew will be pitch side at Goodison, and uh, if Everton did stay up. Uh, there's going to be massive security there. So, but there's always the possibility of a massive pitch invasion, and that could get uh, crazy, like it did against uh, Crystal Palace. But, but to me, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, you go into the final day of the season, and as a neutral, I mean, I'm not a fan of any of these clubs, but as a neutral, I am glued. I will have three screens up. I'll be watching Leicester on one screen. Leicester playing West Ham United. That game is on Sci-Fi Channel and Peacock. Uh, then we've got Leeds United against Spurs, CNBC, Telemundo, and Peacock. I'll have that on another screen. And then Everton against Bournemouth on USA and Peacock. I'll have that on another screen. And it, it's all—it's so much like, like kind of almost like a Shakespearean drama. I mean, you know that one goal in any of those three games is going to change everything, right? And you see, I mean, the, the TV producers know what they're doing. They zoom in into the crowd and you see that despondent Leeds fan and, and just like crying or biting their nails or and then all of a sudden Leeds might score and then it switches to, OK, now it's the the Everton fans that are just furious and angry and protesting and shouting. 
Um, and this is all off the pitch drama. On the pitch, then it's just a wild, frenetic game where you, you mean sometimes you have the uh, the manager or some of the coaches on the sidelines kind of telling the players what the score is. Or the other part of it I love too is that you'll hear the reaction in the crowd. Right? It could be that uh, it could be Everton against Bournemouth, uh, and they have the radios on, listening to the games or looking at the phones to see what the score is for the say Leeds against Spurs game and if Spurs scores you can hear the reaction in the crowd in at, at Everton you mean a, a, a loud kind of roar goes up uh because of a goal going in in the other game i mean i mean to me i don't think it gets any better than this the drama um it's exhausting having gone through that with relegation it's it's no fun but for the neutral and for the tv viewer I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be glued. I think you're spot on, Chris, in the <laughs> the reaction from other games, events, because that exists across sports in general. And I'll speak anecdotally. Um, when, in the 2006 uh, college football SEC championship, Florida needed University of Southern California to lose. And when USC lost, that was during Florida's game against Arkansas in the 2006 SEC championship. And you must have thought that Florida just scored a touchdown or something. And you th- when you relate it back to soccer, I know it's an old cliche, like you know, a keeper makes a save and they'll they'll celebrate like it was a goal. Well, you look at the fans for these games. Uh, for example, if you're talking about Everton, if West Ham or Tottenham scores against Leicester or Leeds, respectively, you know those fans at Goodison Park are going to celebrate as if Everton just scored a goal. It's, it's awesome. I love the drama and the passion that, that's going to be existing and – it, it, as much as it hurts to see one of the two of these teams go down, it's uh, you know it's it's just a joy to watch. The other fascinating thing about this, and this is just the way that the calendar works out, is that these three teams that are in relegation trouble on the final day of the season, all of them play at home. <laughs> and, <laughs> you mean what, what's the chances of that happening? So Leicester against West Ham, West Ham are safe. You mean they're in the Europa uh, Conference League final. Um, in some ways, maybe the foot's off the pedal a little bit. So there's an opportunity for Leicester to maybe take advantage of that. Uh, West Ham players probably thinking about, uh, I mean, the European final that they'll be playing in. Everton against Bournemouth. Bournemouth safe. I mean, done very, very well um, to stay up. Everyone thought they would go down just a few months ago. Bournemouth too, really. I mean, all teams have something to play for in the Premier League, even on the final day of the season, because the higher up in the table you finish, the more money you get for the club, which means more money for transfers, etc. But Bournemouth's got to be thinking, okay, hey, we're, we're feeling pretty good right now. We've got the summer to look forward to, maybe being on a, on a beach in, in Florida. <laughs> so so the foot might be off the pedal slightly there. Bournemouth's a good team. West Ham's a good team. So, that, I mean, nothing to be to take... Uh, kind of think this is going to be a walk in the park but Everton playing home but then the toughest of those are going to be Leeds against Spurs and Tottenham just with, with a roller coaster inconsistency this season but Tottenham eyeing a place in the uh, Europa Conference League in terms of the qualification in terms of where they finish in the league so uh, but then the Leeds United supporters are going to be loud as can be as as will Everton and Leicester um but then also the Leeds fans, I think, c- can get frustrated sometimes mm-hmm. a little bit too soon. Um, and I still think they're they're missing that out-and-out striker. Patrick Bamford's not playing that well, hasn't been playing that well for a while. 
he's back, but he doesn't feel like he's like completely match fit. Um, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. I I just can't wait to to watch these games. Yep. Also, Chris, uh, you talk about these teams. You know, you're right. Every team does have something to play for. But that that Tottenham game against Leeds, they really do have something to play for because right now, I mean, they're on the outside looking in when it comes to the Europa Conference League and. I know Antonio Conte earlier in the season said it would be a miracle if we finished top four like they did in the previous season. I mean, that's not going to happen, obviously. But when you think we're Tottenham, how far, relatively speaking, they've fallen from last year to this year. And you already mentioned the the, the wild roller coaster that they've been on, You know, just blowing through managers and players getting all frustrated. I mean, you would think that Spurs would be the hardest matchup of West Ham and Bournemouth for one of these three teams that could go down. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. All all those teams, especially Spurs, I mean, they've just been – they've fallen off the rails as well. And, you know, could Aston Villa – I mean, even Brentford's in that Europa Conference League race. So yeah. that's another thing that we got to keep an eye on is that, like you mentioned, that, uh, that Conference League race. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and Brentford fans will be keeping a close eye on that Leeds against Spurs scoreline too, uh, playing at the same time. And and Spurs fans are really frustrated, right, in terms of just the managerial process, in terms of trying to find a replacement for Conte. It's been two months. We've gone through a long list of candidates thus far, Uh, many of them kind of turning down the opportunity or just not interested uh, and actually Today, uh, uh, Ramon Vega, one of Tottenham's uh, former players, going out onto social media saying that there's there's a reason why Spurs are having a difficult time trying to find a replacement manager, and that's because the the actual kind of managerial uh, kind of uh, circle of people available, they all talk to one another, and they know that there's issues inside the club. Um, that could prevent people from getting that job or could scare people away from that job in terms of the way that the club has been run. So a lot of Spurs fans want Daniel Levy out. They want Enoch out, uh, the owners, um, and they want new ownership to come in, take over the club and run it in a more efficient way. The stadium's fantastic, um, but just in terms of Spurs fans always kind of want their club to, to be, to be in, I think, expect their club to be doing better. Um, but a lot of frustrated frustration there too. So we could feel that too from the away fans uh, for Leeds against Spurs with the Spurs fans, if they get really upset. Uh, and of course, there's always question mark about Harry Kane. So yeah, <laughs> drama, drama of the first degree there. It could be Harry Kane's last last game in a, in a Spurs kit. You never know. Yeah, it's, it, it's weird in a way, right? Because it's like, you mean, in a way, I think if he stays there, he's always going to be the number one player. It's always going to be a star. Uh, he could go to Man United or Real Madrid or you name it. Any club in the world, uh, top top club in the world would want him. And he wouldn't necessarily be the number one star mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. That, that That's a tough one. That's, that's up to him on, on a <laughs> personal basis there. Last but not least, uh, Liga Mekis, the, the Mexican league, the final, um, the second leg, is on Sunday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is uh, Chivas uh, of uh, Guadalajara against Tigres. And this game is live on Telemundo, uh, Universo, and Peacock. The first leg ended nil-nil. So you go into that second leg knowing, okay, hey, it's it's all wide open. Whoever wins this game wins wins the uh, clausura uh, and is 
uh, crowned Liga Mekis uh, champions. Uh, and, and for Chivas, this is fantastic, right? They've gone through many, many years of tough times. Club America just you mean so far ahead in terms of uh, winning and Chivas at some points looking at looking like a relegation candidate. Chivas has bounced back. Tigres is a really good team too. Uh, this should be a really interesting game for Sunday night, 9.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time. Probably by the time the game actually kicks off, it'll probably be closer to 10 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Um, Carl, I'm not sure <laughs> if you've seen... I, I, you've seen this, I, I know, but we've gotten so much feedback about MLS Season Pass. Um, there's, there's been a lot of comments out there from people. Um, so we'll... I'll read through some of these. I'd love to get your uh, opinion on some of this too. Uh, Dave says, um, you talk about MLS's lack of humility, uh, Don Garber's hype that is divorced from reality, over-promising and under-delivering, etc. Along those lines, MLS highlights, um, MLS highlights of games returned this week to Football Americas, uh, the show that's on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Seb Salazar bit his tongue as he mentioned it, had been an ordeal to get permission to show MLS uh, highlights on uh, Football Americas on ESPN+. MLS highlights are free advertising to a segment filled with low-hanging fruit. The three-month gap almost certainly uh, hurt MLS far more than it hurt ESPN+, or Football Americas. And it's a little bit of inside baseball on this one, too, because... um, Whenever a broadcaster wants to show highlights of a game, they have to go to whoever has the rights and ask permission. And oftentimes the way it works is it's a it's an agreement where like, hey, what are you going to give me in return? So so ESPN probably went to MLS and I'm sure they went to MLS and say, hey, we'd love to include some of the highlights of games from MLS on our shows, Football Americas and ESPN FC. And um you mean, probably MLS would say, okay, well, what do we get in, in return or so on and so forth? Um, but, you I mean, the fact that it's been an ordeal to get the permission to actually show these uh, highlights, I think to me speaks more so to the Apple relationship where Apple probably wants to keep a lot of this stuff within their own ecosystem. So if you want to watch highlights of MLS games, um, best place to go to is MLS Season Pass. In order to get those, you have to subscribe to that service. Uh, but I think finally, Apple and MLS is wising up, saying, you know what? It's actually hurting us by not having our highlights available on shows such as on ESPN Plus or um, etc. Let's try to make those as widely available as possible rather than keeping everything in-house. All right. Next up is Sam. Sam says, longtime listener from San Diego. I wanted to weigh in with my thoughts on the situation going on in my city. First off, I appreciate you taking time uh, to discuss the topic of the MLS expansion, but I have to disagree with Kartik on his point that there is uh, major competition with Liga Mekis here. In my many years as a football fan in uh, San Diego, I've hardly heard any conversations discussing uh, uh, Cholos or any other team from Mexico. The real competition for soccer's, uh, soccer fans' hearts is European soccer. I myself will always consider myself an Arsenal fan over any club that will pop up here. And I know many people who feel similarly 
about their European fandom. However, this is not my main point for writing in. I wanted to express my extreme disappointments with Major League Soccer in not incorporating the San Diego Loyal into the MLS expansion. I get it would cost more to incorporate their existing branding into the new team, but the Loyal team have done so much in the past few years to grow an organic fan base here in San Diego. The San Diego Loyal showed up for the community after the heartbreak of the Chargers leaving Valet. Even when compared to the Wave games, there is so much more of an organic culture and community with the Loyal that reminds me so much of lower league soccer in England and across Europe. Uh, this MLS expansion will certainly split the fan base and insert a fabricated culture where a organic one already exists. I know that most loyal fans will not be heading to Snapdragon Stadium to watch the MLS club if the loyal still exists. To add insult, insult to injury, uh, Landon Donovan is essentially the face of the, the loyal's operations and has been working tirelessly over the past few years to grow soccer in San Diego. MLS should feel, should feel ashamed uh, for exclu excluding the man who they named their MVP award after from joining the league. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Kyle, what's your thoughts uh, on this one? It's always a concern of mine when Major League Soccer decides to plop down a new franchise somewhere. And you and it's spot on, this comment from Sam about how the San Diego Loyal has built up you know, their own their own kind of fandom, their own group that they have a passionate supporter base. And I mean, he's, he's, he's spot on talking about Landon Donovan, because I think if there was ever a player for major league soccer to have a face of their league, you're, you know, your, your Thierry Henry's of the two thousands in the premier league, your Messi's and Ronaldo's of the La Liga, that would be Landon Donovan in my eyes for major league soccer playing with LA galaxy. I mean, they mentioned it right there, the name their MVP award after Landon Donovan. He is the face of not just MLS for its, you know, its rise over the the 2000s, 2010s. But, I mean, he's one of the most, if not the most important players in the history of American soccer. And he's tied for the most goals in the history of the men's national team. He's And he's done a lot for San Diego. He's made the loyal into, you know, a, a good, great side in the, in the championship. And... To have these groups, these fans of champ USL championship sides, you look at the U.S. Open Cup, which happened this past week, and you know you look at the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, their win in the U.S. Open Cup to get into the last 16. I mean, they scored a goal, and you look behind the goal, and there's fans going crazy. There's got to be thousands of fans behind the goal in, this, in a stadium that can only hold so many thousand fans. And to have a new franchise pop down in San Diego that's going to compete with a group like that in the San Diego Loyal. I just think it's not a great look for Major League Soccer, and I think Sam's spot on in that Major League Soccer should at least feel some amount of shame for uh, excluding Donovan and, you know, just kind of dumping one on the uh, on the Loyal. Yeah, and also the Birmingham Legion winning midweek two and then also advancing in the U.S. Open Cup as a USL team into those uh, quarterfinals, I think it is. Yeah, the quarterfinals. I, I mean, I think Landon Donovan probably feels conflicted where he thought that originally San Diego Loyal would have been a, a perfect team to you know, build uh, with the investor owner uh, to build this into a, a team that would eventually uh, be added to Major League Soccer and feels conflicted because now that didn't happen, right? And, and now there's a new team coming into the city and I'm sure... He, 
part of him probably feels that maybe I should be with the MLS team in terms of uh, helping to be the face of that or helping involved in terms of investing or uh, being involved in some some fashion um, because he would be the perfect person to actually lead that. And uh, I'm sure a lot of it was probably financial issues and discussions privately uh, between San Diego Loyal and MLS in terms of maybe not agreeing on, on pathway that they wanted or then new investors coming in with the Egyptian billionaire and, and the, uh, the local tribe saying, okay, hey, uh, we can do a team. We've got the, uh, our money and we don't re- really need Landon Donovan. And unfortunately, I mean, it, it's very likely that probably in a, in a couple of years, San Diego Loyal will probably go out of business uh, just because of the competition, uh, probably being unable to compete against a team um, from Major League Soccer in that market. And um, it's going to cannibalize the, 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 the Loyal fan base, I'm sure. And uh, I mean, maybe at that point in time, then um, Landon Donovan finds a way to, you mean, walk over to the other side and, and uh, be involved with the MLS team. Uh, last up about MLS is uh, Mark Christopher, and he says, "I don't know, I don't know. MLS needs promotion and relegation, but they need to make the regular season more meaningful. I'm a season ticket holder, but rarely watch other teams. I like the increased production quality on MLS season pass. In my opinion, the league needs to balance the schedule while being flexible with showing their big games." Uh, Wild Stallion says um, about the UEFA Europa Conference League, after two seasons, how do you evaluate the UEFA Conference League? Do you think it's uh, serving its intended purpose? I, I think it is. I, I mean, it's uh, we've got the final, right? The uh, uh, and and I think I mean to me to me it's another European final. Yes, I, I think when Europa League first launched, it was a laughing stock. People kind of joked about it, like ah. Yeah, you know I mean, like whichever clubs would, would make it into Europa League, like ah, that, that that's not that's nothing compared to the Champions League. And over years, as years have gone by, I think people have seen more value in the Europa League. Uh, to me, it was always a fun tournament because you'd see sometimes different players, different teams. It, it was exciting, sometimes more exciting than the Champions League. And I think too with the Europa Conference League too, again, same type of thing. You've seen a lot of teams playing in that uh, competition that you would normally not see as much and some of them are big teams you got you mean west ham in, in the final there um so to me I, th- I think it's it's serving its intended purpose it's bringing uh more competitions more opportunities for clubs you mean for kind of further down the table to advance pretty far in the competition uh any additional uh, insight there kyle on that one yeah, I, th- I think it is serving its purpose. Um, I wonder if UEFA would have liked to see small, not smaller teams, but maybe those less established teams in its finals. I mean, this year you got Fiorentina and West Ham, which come out of two major leagues in Europe. But when you look at the games that these teams are playing, um, West Ham beating a uh, uh, AZ Alkmaar. Apologies if I'm butchering. I'm, I'm not fluent in Dutch. That's and right. then uh, that Fiorentina game against Basel. I mean, that was just an awesome game that needed a stoppage time goal in extra time for Fiorentina to get past Basel into this final. And Fiorentina is a great team, you know, some history there and West Ham is as well, but you're not going to see these teams competing in the champions league because of all the money that's in, you know, your usual suspects, your Real Madrid, Manchester city, Manchester United, PSG. 
I think that the Euro the Europa Conference League is serving its purpose in that regard and getting these other teams quote unquote major European games. Um, I just wonder if UEFA would have liked to see you know Basel in the final or uh, or AZ Alkmaar in the final, which we've we've seen Dutch teams in Europa League final in recent years. Uh, I mean, going back to the Champions League, obviously they've been in the final a number of times. I just wonder if uh, maybe it could be a little more diverse in UEFA's eyes. Yeah, my only complaint about the Conference League, the Europa Conference League, is that uh, the games are on, on at the same time as the Europa League. So sometimes, you mean, on a Thursday, I'm like, okay, I'm watching the Europa League games, but I'm then I'm like, oh man, I, I'm kind of like torn. I want to watch the this other Europa Conference League game that's happening at the same time, but I can't, you I mean, I can only watch so many games at once. <laughs> I, ideally, it'd be great if the uh, Europa Conference League had its own day, like maybe a Friday but then that cuts into, I mean, that te- those teams playing on those weekend games, which screws up the s- schedule even more. So I don't see that happening. But it'd be great, actually, maybe if the kickoff times were different, separate, maybe having earlier kickoff times for a lot of those games so that we can actually watch them more live. Um, but yeah, I think the quality level of the league has been good, uh, of the actual competition has been good. Uh, as has the Europa League. And, and again, it's opened my eyes to, to a bunch of di- different teams that normally I don't get to see as much, So, uh, including uh, AZ Alkmaar. All right, uh, Laurent wants to talk to us about the Premier League. He says, uh, you talked about the ingredients that make the Premier League so big. You had four. I think there are two more, history and supporters. There is an immediate story for every club. And support makes the product feel like you need to feel what they feel. And and that's a great point, too, because this is uh, in regards to last week when we talked about um, what is it that makes the Premier League uh, more popular or the most popular sports league in the world. And I gave four reasons, which I think were uh, quality of soccer, um, the actual production of, of the games themselves, uh, the star appeal in terms of having some of the best stars from around the world. And promotion relegation, having that that fear, accountability of going down, but also new teams coming up through the system. And we saw that too with Laurent, with adding history and supporters to that. And I think those are two excellent points. Um, I mean, I would say that um, obviously MLS doesn't have as much history. Um, and yes, they do have you know, kind of a hardcore supporters base in select cities most of the cities these days especially the ones with with newer stadiums but those are ingredients absolutely that make the premier league and other leagues such as the bundesliga um such an important uh, part of um, the reasons that we watch those leagues and then lastly we've got two more comments to go uh next up is roberto uh, roberto says uh, uh first off it will be sad if Leicester goes down. For years, they were a yo-yo team and seemed set in, it seemed set in the big time. I first saw them play at Orient when for the first and only time they were in the old second division at the same time. That was, I think, 1982. It does, it does appear that you two cannot win. For some of you, uh, you, Chris and Kartik, are too European-centric and anti-MLS. Others see you as cheerleaders for Major League Soccer. Wonder how those work together. To me, you provide mostly constructive criticism. You've been positive towards the Apple deal because it's a major advance. And if it works, it should advance soccer in the US. 
my interest in world soccer goes back to the days of the first NASL. Uh, my interest in the Premier League has lessened as more and more uh, despots gain control of the Premier League. Too much money is ruining, ruining, ruining the game. Last but not least, uh, Chris says, uh, even though this isn't soccer related, I wanted to let you and other listeners know that recent, recently Univision got the Spanish language rights to the Super Bowl for the first time ever. I think this is go also going to provide an excellent opportunity for Univision to promote uh, Liga Mekis, along with the Champions League coverage to an English language audience, potentially stealing viewers from CBS, as well as Spanish speaking NFL fans who don't follow soccer through the use of ads during the game. My question to either of you is, do you think this will grow the English language audience for Liga Mackies? What do you think, Kyle? I It's hard for me to say I, as much as I would love it to because um, I've, I've watched, honestly, haven't watched too much uh, Liga Mackies, but I did watch the second legs of the semifinals in this year's uh, the playoff phase, and those were awesome games. Um, I'm blanking on which game actually required um a comeback it was i mean it was obviously either either chivas or tigres that required a, a second half comeback in their second leg but um regarding univision having the super bowl rights i don't know if it would steal viewers from cbs i'm sure it would because you think i mean nbc does well or at least univision does well to have these games also on peacock i don't know if the game will also be on peacock the super bowl i mean um, if it is, then that could be a way for a lot of fans to watch the Super Bowl because we saw that during the World Cup, all these games on Peacock, you know, I'm sure uh, took some of the English viewers away from from Fox that already had Peacock to watch the Premier League. So if that's on the Super Bowl, I think it could be a vehicle to promote uh, English language coverage or at least any coverage of Liga MX, assuming that uh, Univision will promote it during the game. But it, again, it's hard for me to say. Yeah, I think the biggest uh, barrier to growing Liga Mackies to an English language audience is the language, is uh, the Spanish language. And um, most people, I think, in the United States probably don't realize that there are English language commentaries available of many Liga Mackies games. And most of them are available through uh, To Do Any Extra which is uh, available through authentication. So if you have Fubo, uh, you'll, you get the Tuduene uh, extra channels. And oftentimes when a game's happening, um, you know, I don't know, in this case, Chivas against, well, actually, that's not, not the case, because Chivas is uh, Telemundo. So there's, so basically the Univision property. So if it was the, the first leg, so if it was the first leg of the final, Tigres against Chivas, that game would be available on Univision and Tuduene. But if you have access to Tuduene Extra, there would be an English language commentary of the same game uh, available through there in places such as Fubo. But it's a hassle. It's not as easy as just switching on the channel and clicking on SAP and then selecting the audio. It's not as easy as MLS Season Pass where you, you log in and it asks you every single time, do you want the English language broadcast or the Spanish language broadcast? Um, with it being Univision has the rights. Actually, Univision has the rights in both English and Spanish uh, to, to many of their games. However, it's just it's more steps to actually get it to work. So so I, I don't think uh, the Super Bowl, it, it'll increase the, the exposure, making more people aware that Univision has uh, Liga Mackey's games and Champions League coverage games. Um, 
in addition to the Super Bowl, but I don't think it's going to actually increase the English language audience unless Liga Mackies and and uh, Tudo Ene and Liga Mackies figures out a way to make this easier, um, whether it's a subscription service or something, to make it easier for people to find these games in English. And ESPN's had games in English uh, of Liga Mackies games a few years ago on ESPN2, and the viewership was really, really low. Fox Deportes has English language uh, viewership of Liga Mackey's games. The viewership for that was very low. So, yeah, it's, um, I, yeah, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. All right, listeners, uh, if you do want to get in touch with us, we'd love to get your feedback. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll read those out on air. So, whether it's through YouTube or through Twitter, Facebook, the website, uh, podcasts, wherever you're hearing this podcast, etc. There's a few different ways you can reach out to us. Uh, the first is uh, email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, second is through the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Click on podcasts and then leave your comment in the most, re- most recent episode. Uh, then you have facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can send us a message there. Twitter is at worldsoccertalk. Uh, you can leave a voicemail, 561-247-4625. Also, if you're on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk, you can post your comments there um, for each of the podcast uh, uh, actual podcast episodes, and we will definitely uh, t- try our best to read those out on air. So, uh, yeah, thank you. And, Carl, thanks for being on the show this week. I really appreciate it, and it's great catching up with you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that Guillaume Balague uh, interview. But out of all the games that are coming up this weekend, <laughs> if you had to pick one where you're like, all right, I only have time to watch one game this weekend, I- I'm sure you're going to watch more than that. But if it's only <laughs> one game, and it doesn't have to be any of the games we mentioned, which is the one game that you're going to say, hey, I have to watch this one game? For me, I think it is Coventry against Luton Town. That game just seems like a really good time and, I mean, we talked about it beforehand, how much that game is worth and the passion on the field and in the stands. I think that'll be a good one. And uh, yeah, that, that'll that be my game that I'm really looking forward to. What about you, Chris? I'm going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say Goal Rush. <laughs> I'm watching Goal Rush, uh, having the whip around show of all those games happening at the same time, seeing those goals going in and uh, watching one broadcast. Uh, it's hard, right? It's hard to choose one of these games. Earlier in the week, we did the podcast with Kartik and we were saying like, hey, well, the Bundesliga, this is going to be huge for them. Maybe these one of these games will end up being on ESPN2 or ESPNU or, or ESPN. Nope, it's it's on ESPN+. Plus. So the only way to watch these games is ESPN+, and the Bundesliga. <sighs> to me, actually, I think it's the, uh, the Dortmund game, Dortmund against Mainz. That's the one that uh, I am going to watch and pay more attention to than any other game just because there's so much riding on the line on that one game. Well, so too is Coventry against Luton. But I (laughs) I think just in terms of just kind of breaking up the monopoly in Germany, I just want to see Dortmund win and see if that changes anything next season, if things start to get better and more competitive or if Bayern doubles down and says, okay, that's it. Tuchel's gone. Now we're bringing in some other manager. We're going to spend more money to bring in more superstars. Um, you have to wonder how much um, Lewandowski uh, leaving Bayern has had an impact, uh, Kyle, especially with you being a Barcelona fan. What's your thoughts on that? 
you know, you would think that he would be a hard player to replace. And, you know, based on their record in this season, especially in the back half of the season, that might be the case. But I think one of my surprise players of the year has been uh, Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting for Bayern Munich, who just seems to, I thought he was very average in the Premier League and in Liga, but I mean, in the Bundesliga, he's been, been scoring for fun. To be fair, he's got crazy talent around him at Bayern Munich, but yeah, you would think that Bayern Munich, you already said it, they would probably go out and just buy some elite level striker that's going to score goals at ease. And that, I mean, I don't want to go throwing around rumors, but I know Bayern Munich and Harry Kane have uh, have a couple links that date back a, a year or so. Yeah, that would be perfect, right? That would be perfect mm-hmm. for uh, Harry and for Bayern and and honestly would get more people watching the Bundesliga, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. An out-and-out English I mean, uh, centre-forward going into Germany to see how he does and how he adapts. I think he'd do great, but uh, that was certainly... Uh, mix things up quite a bit all right listeners thank you for listening uh whichever games you're going to enjoy this weekend we hope it's a good one uh thanks uh to everyone and we'll be back on tuesday with uh, our next podcast episode meanwhile definitely go check out worldsoccertalk.com for uh kyle's articles and, and many many more from many writers from around the world enjoy your football